Back in here, segment number three, it is Jobbing Out. Glenn Clark, Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone. And a pleasure now to be joined by a dude that I have talked to a few times in the past and have been a fan of for a very long time. And as we said at the start of the show, someone whose accomplishments post-wrestling career stand even more significantly than what he did during his career in the ring. He is the great Diamond Dallas Page, and he joins us now here on Jobbing Out. DDP, it's Glenn and Aaron back here in the uh, Mid-Atlantic. Thank you so much for taking the time for joining us today. Hey, my pleasure, buddy. Appreciate you getting in touch with me. Absolutely, man. For you know, I, I saw you this week talking all about the Performance Center, and I was like, this is amazing. Because I remember when you launched DDP Yoga, and we talked a couple times about it, but to see this journey get to the point where you've now launched your own Performance Center for DDP Yoga, that's got to be unbelievable for you. Well, you know, Steve Austin was here last night. Uh, his podcast is up now um, on, uh, on Steve Austin podcast. He was blown away. I mean, he expected to see, like, you know, maybe I rented a you know fifteen hundred square foot building and turned it into a workout place. I've built a sixty three hundred square foot <laughs> corporate headquarters that houses all of our business, administration, boardroom, but we're, we're really a production studio more than anything because we film everything. We have five edit bays, a TriCaster that makes it like our own station. Uh, we're about to drop the DDP uh, Yoga Now interactive app. It's a subscription base, uh, and we built the soundstage performance area where we've got yeah, I could fit 60 people working out with me. We're going to be doing a lot of stuff from the stage, like I did with my original DVD series, with my workouts. But we're also going to be doing live workouts. We're going to be doing DDP yoga for kids, DDP yoga for seniors. I've got a 30-foot green screen that's 18 feet high, and we lay stuff on the ground. It comes out 20 feet. I've got a kitchen that is second to none to do our cooking shows, showing people how to eat real food. When Steve Austin walked in here yesterday, I was like, no, get out, get out. He goes, no, dude, what? I didn't expect to see this. <laughs> and I, like, I want to film you walking through here. Let's go eat first. So we went down to my favorite barbecue place down the road, Ebony and Ivory, and then uh, had some barbecue and came back. And when he, you know, he interviewed Jake for his podcast, he, ordered, uh, um, he uh, interviewed uh, Scott Hall, for his podcast, and he interviewed me. It was, uh, you know, it was a great, you know, two days with Steve here, and we blew him away with a DDP Yoga Performance Center, which is in Smyrna, actually where Peter uh, Roberts was born, which is a little suburb on, on the outside of Atlanta. That's so awesome, and people can find out more by going to ddpyogapc.com. But it, it's incredible, and it and it sort of leads naturally into. I didn't know that you guys had done a documentary with uh, with Jake, and, I, and I'll tell you, I think everybody's familiar with the story um, from when Jake went into the Hall of Fame. I think it's been well documented that he came to live with you and how you really turned his life around. But I got a copy of the documentary last night, and I've only been able to get, because of my other show, I've only been able to get 45 minutes through it to this point. And, dude, there have been about five times where I've had to stop and say, holy crap. Like, I cannot <laughs> believe... You know, just seeing where he was and how yeah. awful. I had forgotten about the thing that happened in Ohio those years back, and like rewatching that, 
I, I just cringe. Like, it made me sick seeing that. And to go from there to where I'm now looking at your website and seeing pictures of him leading class, like, it's unbelievable what you guys have done with Jake. Yeah, Jake is, you know, it was a passion of mine because I never forget anybody who helps me. Never. I think, like, I always say without Dusty Rhodes, there is no Diamond Dallas page. You know, he gave me every break that ever meant anything early on in my career, but without Jake the St. Roberts, I never um, grasp what it takes to really be a main event guy. I'm certainly never a three-time world champion, you know, without the guidance of Jake through my career and my matches, uh, even some of my interviews. And, uh, you know, I wanted to always pay him back. And uh, I helped him out a bunch of times. I was making stupid money. But, you know, I, I really wanted to, I knew how bad he was. I knew he didn't want to live. I mean, you see him in the beginning. I mean, he, he's pissed off if he finds out another one of the boys died because it's not him. Like, that's how much, but he wouldn't kill himself. He was trying to by just destroying himself with, you know, booze and pills and coke and crack. You know, I mean, he's trying to, but at the same time, he didn't want to kill himself because he's got eight kids and he's already done enough to them. You know, he had no relationship with any of his kids. You know, they'd all, like, they'd give it up on him, and understandably why, and understandably so, you know. Uh, but today, Jake, his daughter, Cody, is his right-hand woman. Uh, she is his business manager. She's amazing. She has a relationship with her dad she didn't think was possible. Um, five of her other, uh, you know, four of her other siblings the other ones are, are still too young to uh, to get to that spot because you know they they don't they only know what they've heard they don't even know their dad but he's trying so hard you know to to do the right thing to say the right thing to you know right now Jake Roberts is about inspiring people to not give up on themselves like it's not too late because if anybody was too late and you could see it in the beginning of that yeah movie, no doubt and that's why when we film this guys. I walked into the kitchen, and you'll see I was making breakfast for us, and, and my um, director, Steve Yu, says, so what do you think? And, man, I think this is going to – I don't even know. I mean, like, <laughs> I thought we were screwed because I, I, I didn't – Jake's not known for his work ethic. You know, in a match, in a, in a, in a, in when he was he's in his prime, he had the greatest work ethic on the planet in the ring, you know, but, um, you know, he just wasn't a guy who worked out and, you know, ate well. So I had to, like, change. And it just he did all the work. I just had to guide him in the right direction. And as you can see through, you know, the resurrection of Jake State, the, the documentary, uh, which will be in Baltimore, as a matter of fact, on October 3rd, anybody who wants to know about uh, the movie, go to jakethesnakemovie.com, and it'll show you what city we're coming to. Uh, it'll, uh, it'll, it, you, you'll get on our mailing list, uh, for when the VOD comes out, for when the DVD comes out. Cause this, this director, Steve Yu, he made it 93 minutes and tells the best story. It, it's a rocky story. It's a feel good story. It's the best story on the, you know, that anybody could ever hope and dream for because it's got everything in it. And how it wasn't nine hours was beyond me. <laughs> you know? Yeah, dude, it's it's powerful, man. I'm telling you, I you know I, I got it. And I'm sort of like, oh, okay, I remember the story, but I I had no idea how much you guys had everything in there. Like that, 
him getting you know drunk at the airport and I ugh. Dude, I, I am blown away by, by everything you've done with Jake. It's incredible. I'm glad you pointed out jakethesnakemovie.com. And again, October 3rd, right in uh, Baltimore. And Jake's going to be there for that one, right? Yes, he will actually be. Um, we, actually, because Scott Hall and I will be in New York over that period. Because, you know, the movies, like, it's amazing. When you have a documentary, like today, you don't get your documentary in these movie houses for more than one, one show. And they, they line it up with the director and whoever the cast members are and, and they do Q and A's, but they don't really play it more than once or twice, that, you know, and that's that. To get a week long with some of these theaters, like, you know, some of these, uh, cool, uh, you know, theaters that play in, independent movies, uh, it was really a struggle. But because we were in variety, because this is a slam dance Presents. Slamdance is one of the top um, film festivals in our country, in the world, actually. And they're out of Park City, Salt Lake. Uh, they do it at the same time uh, Sundance does. And um, they, we didn't win the Slamdance Film Festival, but you might as well say we did, because we are the first and only film that Slamdance has gone out with as Slamdance Presents. It got us an amazing write-up in Variety. Everywhere we go, we're getting these amazing reviews. We're going to be in Tampa, Dallas, Texas. We're going to be in Philly, in Yonkers. We're in Manhattan. We are in downtown, or I should say midtown Manhattan, at an AMC theater for a week. That's unheard of for AMC, to play a documentary for a week. We also got L.A. We're out there for a week in Culver City, which is one of those suburbs in L.A. We're in um, Dallas, Texas for a week down there. So, uh, you know, the movie is getting legs. People are talking about it. Of course, there's going to be a lot of people who can't get to the theater. That's actually an afternoon showing. I think it's a 1 o'clock showing. It is, but yeah. people are still going to want to see it. And that's where the VOD, the video on demand, will probably come in December. And um, at that point, you know, it's just going to go everywhere. And then we're going to also put our DVD up as well, as well, because we have so much behind the scenes that we couldn't put all in there that we're putting into this. It's really an amazing, uh, it's an amazing journey. Let me say this real quick, and I don't need to shill for you anymore. We definitely want to talk some wrestling too, but it's at the Charles, which is an, a gorgeous theater in Baltimore for anybody that's never been there. It, for the screening, it's just seven fifty for a ticket. That's it. It's seven fifty for a ticket on Saturday the third, and then afterwards there's going to be a Q and A and uh, photo ops and autographs with Jake. That's unbelievable. Again, find out more by going to jakethesnakemovie.com. He is Diamond Dallas Page, and he joins us here on uh, Jobbing Out. DDB, uh, we had a anniversary this past weekend, and we talked about this earlier on the show, and that's the twentieth anniversary of the start of Nitro. And uh, obviously you were around then. When you first heard that WCW was getting a Monday show, a Monday live show, did, do you remember what your reaction was and if you thought it would work? Absolutely. And, you know, um, I was probably the first to know. And so I went to Eric Bishop and it was Ted Turner's idea to do it. And I was like, like yeah, Eric, like, what, what do you mean? We're going to go head-to-head. Why don't we do Tuesday? <laughs> why, why would we want to go head-to-head? 
Now, you have to really know the ratings back then, and I do. I mean, back then, because uh, ratings were such a huge part of our business and our, and our lives, day-to-day lives, you know, the WWE was going a 2-9 to maybe a 3-3. Three, three. That was their, I'm thinking, what are we going to do? Like, get one of their, you know, 2-9 and maybe a 1-9. We do a 1 or a point one, you know, 1. You know, like, how's what's going to happen here? And what ended up happening is the first week was like, I think we did like a 2-1 and they did like a 2-7. And it was like, whoa, that adds up to 4. <laughs> <laughs> And then it would just, you know, we won one. I, I'm not, I'll never forget the first time we won one. You know, then they would win a couple. Then we'd win one. Then they'd win a couple. Then we'd win two. And then they'd win two. And then it would just become that back and forth thing. And it was crazy, man. But when it really took off, you know, when it really, like in 1997, took off and we started to win continually, my career blew up crazy. You know, because I was headlining with Macho Man, and out of the 12 pay-per-views, three of them, me and Macho were on top. You know, it, it was like crazy, uh, you know, every Monday night. Then they went to Thursday night, you know, which added even more, you know, exposure on television. But the Monday Nitro, when it really started to explode, for my career to be in the middle of all that was just, you know... If I could have, like, sat down and said, okay, here's what I'd love my career to be. I mean, a guy who starts wrestling at 22, but it doesn't work out and basically loses the dream, it's over, and then comes back as 31 as a manager. And five years or four years later, I mean, WCW, not just managing, but wrestling, at 35 and a half, everybody's like, oh, God, he's out of his mind. He'll never be able to do this. And then at 40, that's where I was 40 in 1996, and it had blown through the roof, and my career went right with it. It was unbelievable. Dallas, you said you knew, and that you were. The, why, why did you know? Why did you know it was going to work? Which part are we talking about? Just Nitro and Jetta, when you guys were going to launch. You said you, you know, I, I knew it was going to. Why, why was that? Well, once you know, Bischoff has been, uh, you know, he's been accused of buying, you know, players, you know. But isn't that what, you know, uh, Steinbrenner did? Had a little success with the Yankees. <laughs> you, know, you know, you you buy the best talent because that's what it comes down to. And once the NWO, and, and like I was a part of the whole thing about bringing Scott Hall and, and uh, Kevin Nash in to the company. And I'll never forget because, you know, Think of their last names, Hall and Nash. Like, those are cool names. <laughs> you know? and, and, you know, Scott had come in first. And, um, like, you know, everybody knows he's Razor Ramon. But, you know, what's the name like that? And Eric was, like, searching for it. I go, you don't have to come up with it now. That, this was something that I know I had a big piece in. Because I was like, dude, these are cool names. They were talking about calling um, uh Kevin at one time instead of Diesel calling him Axel. And I'm like, dude, this guy's so cool on his own. He don't need a name. And so when Scott came out there that first time, it showed up out of nowhere and nobody knew. I knew because I was ringing, you know, me and Bischoff's were butts. And, but nobody knew. Announcers, nobody. And he walked out there and he grabbed the mic and they stopped the match 
and he cuts his promo, you know who I am. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like saying, you might as well say, hey, Chico, it's right <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know? So that really, really started, you know, the thing going crazy. And then the whole, like, who's number two? Well, I knew number two was, I, you know, I knew it was going to be Nash. You know, so I know that that's going to be another monstrous, you know, jack of the ratings. And uh, those two guys, like, you want to talk about an invasion. <laughs> no one has done an invasion better than Eric Bischoff. Look at them all. Because, you know, if WWE really wanted an invasion of WCW, they would have come in there and laid everybody out, like Kevin and Scott did. They were two guys. That's it. And by the time Hogan came in, they were unstoppable. They were three guys. But it was so believable, you know, because of the fact that these were all WWF guys. So it like, is Vince working with Turner? <laughs> you know I mean, that, that's real. And you, you didn't know what was real and what wasn't. And any time professional wrestling can blur the lines, whether it's an interview, a match, um, you know, it's an angle. Anytime you can blur the lines, that's when people get hooked. And once they get hooked, they're in. Now, as as the NWO was getting bigger, you were actually a heel at the time, and they, they were constantly making reference to you being friends with Nash and Hall and Bischoff. Was, was there ever a thought to put you in the NWO instead of using it as a uh, way to turn your face? Well, you know, this is really funny because I would get in arguments with Bischoff. Like, I know Hulk's got to be number three, even though I'm the only guy that's got a relationship with them. And I, I was almost hot enough that it might have made a little difference, but nothing would have been the impact of the Hulkster. Yeah. Nothing. He was the guy. And... I know, because Bischoff and I'd be drinking beers at Longhorn Saloon, man. And we'd be talking about, like, you know, Hulk sees, like, you know, these guys are the two coolest guys in professional wrestling. Like, they were the guys. Forget everybody else. Those two were the guys. And then when McMahon started doing the, the fake razor and the fake diesel, that even got a moral. <laughs> it was like, it was so beautiful. And what has happened is the booking committee at that time, well, you know, up till I finally blew up and Randy Savage said he wanted to work with me, the booking committee never believed in me, ever. So I would have to fight and scrape for everything. It didn't matter that one of my closest friends was the main guy because he wouldn't push me like that, like a nepotism thing. He just wouldn't do it. And, you know, I was the guy he could count on, though. You know, and long story short, um, when I finally... You know, was ready. I, I was so fed up before that angle. I was so fed up with WCW. I was leaving. I was already Nash is in. That Nash I would probably would have got me in a year or so back. But now I'm talking to Stone Cold, who's my other brother, and he's like, "Dude, whenever you're ready to come up here, you tell me." Wow. You know, because he would have figured he would. I would have. I would have walked in, done done my tryout, and been locked in. And I was so close to leaving. I'll never forget we were in uh, uh, we were in uh, Tattanooga because it was just the way the, the buildings laid out. I remember the boiler room that me and Kevin Nash were in, 
And I said, listen, buddy, here's the idea. I said, if, if, if they don't want to do it, I'm out of here. You know, but here's the idea. I said, you know, no one's got a relationship like the three of us. Not when it's real. Being tag team partners, you know, coming up together in the business, the whole deal. You know, I created all Scott's, what, you know, what was, Di what was Razor Ramon was Diamond Stud before <laughs> it was ever Razor Ramon. And, um, you know, Scott would do all the, um, the, uh, uh, imitating Scarface in the car. You know, when we were driving, that's where all that came from. I know, that's awesome. And, uh, so, um, you know, I got Scott the job. I changed his hair from blonde to black, got rid of the unbelievable fuller brush mustache he had. That's so Stayed phenomenal. Brush cut look, the five o'clock shadow. You know, I, I, I helped him there. I helped him, I, I got him the job, you know, um, for the look and everything when his wife was pregnant with Cody. You know, he's now in wrestling in Japan. And uh, Scott never forgot that. And uh, Kev, you know, when he wanted to quit a couple times, I would be like, no, don't let these SOBs, don't let them, don't let them beat you, man. You're going to be the man. F them. You got this. Don't let them win. And I, and I would build that. He, he thanked me in his Hall of Fame speech. You know, like, you know, he said, I probably owe my house in Daytona Beach to Dallas. <laughs> you know, because I wasn't going to let my buddy quit. And um, so uh, when I said to Kev, listen, the idea is this. You guys come to me and you ask me to be in the end of your like you do everybody else. But I go, what? You're coming to me now like number six? You know, like I got the greatest finish in, in the business and you want me? I don't need you. Screw you and walk off. And then they look at each other like, oh, Dally. Like they would do in real life. Oh, Dally. Oh, he'll get over it. We'll talk. Well, we'll talk to him again later. And then it became later, and I said, you know, then eventually you come in the ring, you give me the shirt, because I gotta take the shirt now. I take the shirt, you give me a hug, you move away. Scott goes to high five me, we shake hands, he goes to pull away. I pull him back, bang. So you come at me, I'll backdrop you over the top. He's like, oh, this is awesome. See, these guys knew they wanted someone to work with that the people would believe in and they could hear the crowd. Like they were saying, dude, you're a babyface now. Like I didn't do anything yet. And when I finally did that angle, first of all, Kevin said to me, go tell Scott. Then he goes, go tell Bischoff we're doing it. And I was like, dude, I'm not telling Bischoff. I got to talk to Scott first. He goes, dude, you don't think Scott wants to help you? You know, when you helped him get his job when his wife was pregnant? And I was like, dude, I don't care. He's taking a cutter. I got to ask him. When I asked him, he's like, awesome. I love it. Go tell Bischoff. I said, I'm not telling him anything. You guys are. So we went to the club. We went to the, you know, to the, to the, you know, what was really cool about Nitro is we could work, show up at the hotel, you know, take a shower, be downstairs and catch our match. And we'd all be in a bar drinking at that <laughs> hotel we were at. So, so Kevin was, you know, he was always the pitch man. So Kev pitched the idea. And Bischoff sort of, well, he sort of hem-hawed it a little bit. You're like, oh, I don't know. And Scott said, so let me get this right. You two are buddies, and you aren't going to help him? You're like as hot as he is right now? Like, you're not going to help him? He goes, I'm not sure if I want to work here. Phew. Phew. And Bischoff did the you know, He pushed it out there to the bookers. God's honest truth, the reason why it took so long 
to get from point A to point B is because they put it on the TV at least eight times, like on the written sheet for the right. TV. Mm-hmm. And for one reason or another, pulled it off. That's <laughs> And it had me at a point where I was ready to quit again. Wow. Because I thought in the big show, big shows on because it was the giant back then, mm-hmm. and he was my boy, you know. And he was like, dude, they're never going to take care of you. They're never going to let you drop those guys. He's like, you should go to New York. I said, dude, I'm ready. That Monday, we were in New Orleans, and it was on the TV sheet. And I had 12 minutes for the match with this guy, Mark Starr, and the angle. By the time I got to the curtain, I was down to four minutes. <laughs> I was so pissed off. But I figured they were, they were trying to, like, you know, like just be a hot shot, right? Right. And I was so mad. I'm like, Kev, Kev, they cut the time. They cut the time. <laughs> He's like, dude, what do you always tell me? I go, I don't know. What do I always tell you? He said, breathe. <laughs> and, and then he said, it's why. What are they going to do? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. They're going to cut us shorter? Dude, we're out there. He goes, go out there. Tonight's your night. Have fun. And when I went out in the match with Mark Starr, he was a really, he was a good worker, a really good worker. And I don't know what he missed when I said, bank shot diamond cutter, and he hit the turnbuckle. I just wanted him to stagger out. I'll <laughs> catch you and take you. And he gets that turnbuckle, bounces out, takes about three steps, and then dies. Like, <laughs> like a Ric Flair. Ric Flair, I'm like, what the hell is he doing? Oh, my God. So I dove at him and caught him a foot from the ground, and the place exploded. But to me, it was lame. So when I push him over, like the cover, look at my face. I'm so mad. Oh, my God, I'm so mad. But those guys came out, man, and, you know, when I hit Scones, Kevin, I hugged him, and he walked away, and, Scott freaking gave me a little you know, pat on the butt thing, and then he went to slap sloppy five. I held on to his hand when he moved away, yeah. and as he pulled, I pulled and bang. <sighs> man, that was that was the beginning of my career taking off. It made Randy Macho Man Savage want to work with me, you know, and we were the feud of the year in 1997. We actually edged out, according to Pro Wrestling Illustrated, we edged out my boy Stone Cold and Bret Hart. Wow. Was that, wait, was that night, that was in the dome too, wasn't it? Yes. Yes. Yeah. 33,000 oh people. God, man. How cool is that? It was <laughs> unbelievable, man. Oh, that's. But I, I tell you what, I was so bad. It was the first time I took off a bit of people, and I didn't realize, wait a minute, this is a dome. Yeah, it's a dome. <laughs> hundred feet. <laughs> It was ridiculous. Right. You know, and I just had to keep walking and walking and walking. <laughs> I couldn't walk that down. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, that's hilarious. But, but I'm going to give you an example of setting someone not to the full effect of it and how the book, how the book company did stuff to me back then. If Stone Cold would have done something like that to Vince at the 9 o'clock hour, how many times would it play before the end of the night? 20? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. At least six, seven, right? Yeah. How many times in my, the, the, the diamond cutter out of nowhere that dropped the NWO, how many times did it play? I think once the next week, maybe. Zero that yeah. night. Yeah. 
Yeah. I got so drunk on Bourbon Street. <laughs> Scott Hall. Scott Hall ended up taking care of me. <laughs> He's like, whoa, Dally, you got my spot. I'm not supposed to be me. And Scotty tells the funniest story because we're in New Orleans and um, uh, Dan Aykroyd owns one of the uh, House of Blues down there. Yeah. And they were walking out and I was like so whacked out. Hey, Ghostbuster. <laughs> What you gonna do? <laughs> Yo, diamond cutter. <laughs> I was a mess. Oh, I was dude. a mess. Scotty tells, Scotty tells a really funny story off of that. Oh, um, uh, so we've already been doing this for like a half an hour, and I don't know how much more we can keep you, but, um, yeah. I, I have to ask you about, you've heard all the rumors about the, the Hall of Fame, and I, I gotta know as you've watched Scott and Jake go in recently, you you weren't in the WWE for very long, but because you've had such an impact on wrestling, what would it mean to you if you were to get that call in the next couple of years? Well, you know, if WCW would have won the war, I'd already be in the Hall of Fame. Right, <laughs> right. Know? And, uh, you know, Terry Funk is great as he, you know, one of the greatest Hall of Famers ever, but he didn't have that great a run in WWE either, you know? But he was an impact god. You know, around the world, you know, um, and I don't compare myself to Terry Funk by any stretch of imagination, um, because I think he's, he's one of the guys that I would imitate sometimes because <laughs> he was so great. But there's a lot of guys, you know, Cowboy Bill Watts, you know, he never had any run in WWE. It's like, what did you do in your federation right. oh, that the WWE owns? Yeah, correct. <laughs> it's now a WWE you property, know? right? Right. So, yeah, you know, when it happens, it happens. It's, it's no question in my mind at some point it has to, you know? Yeah. You know, and, you know what? In my, after going to the Cauliflower Alley Club, and, you know, that was uh, last year, uh, their 50th anniversary, I was the first guy, and I'm so proud of this. You know, it may sound like I'm bragging, but I'm really just proud of it. But I was the first guy ever that they ever gave two awards to in the same banquet, you know, in the same deal. And, uh, you know, they gave me the humanitarian award and the, uh, you know, and the wrestler award, which was pretty damn cool. Um, you know, and, and you, you opened up with this, which is really amazing. You know, um, what I did in wrestling was like, it was so cool, man. I, I was living a dream on a whole nother level. Uh, like it, it was just literally, it was a fantasy. But what I'm doing today is even it's massive. Cooler. It's massive, like, bro. Like changing lives, like, Helping people own their lives. It's, uh, you know, I said five years ago on Neil Brian, Neil Brian Alvarez is. Yeah. He does a show, uh, yeah, absolutely. weekly. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> he works with the Belzer. And five years ago, I'll never forget it. Uh, he said to me, he said, so Diamond, where do you see Diamond Dallas Page in five years? I said, I know you're going to think I'm crazy. I said, but I honestly believe, you know, originally the name was YRG, but it's all been branded DDP Yoga, I said, um, I honestly believe that DDP Yoga is going to overshadow my wrestling career. He was like, what? Because <laughs> like, it was still, no one really knew about it, you know? But I'd already known, I'd helped that disabled veteran, who's from Baltimore, Maryland, Mr. Arthur Borman, uh, who's an amazing... Oh, I saw his today. story, amazing. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, after him, I like, if he never went through his transformation where he loses 140 pounds in 10 months, but more importantly loses the knee braces, the back braces, and the canes, and not just walks but runs. 
I don't know if I ever would have. I know I never would have got Chris Jericho to do it, uh, who lives, eats, and sleeps and breathes. The APO that's only work out he does. Guy jumped off the top of a cage, you know, at 44 mm-hmm. after saying his career was over, three, you know, four years earlier. I don't think I ever would have got Ryback to do it. I never would have got Dustin Rhodes to do it. I never would have got Jacob Scott to do it. You know, but once they saw that video, that inspired them to think, well, hey, if this guy can do that, what could I do? And that's what I tell everybody. You know? I'm gonna. It's gonna sound a little nerdy here, and I don't know. I'll speak for Aaron as well. We as wrestling fans need to say thank you because it has sucked to watch our heroes die, and that you have cared so much for those guys. On top of what you're doing as a business and for the average person, but that you've cared so much for those guys to try to prevent that. It means a lot to wrestling fans. Thank you, DDP. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, a few lot of people saying to me, and I, I'm just thankful that they both got their lives on track. You know, uh, I was talking to Scotty today. I talked to Jake yesterday. You know, I talked to them all the time, and uh, you know, uh, it's just, it's it's awesome. You know, yeah. nothing I can say better. You know, it's, it's awesome. You, you know, Jake in our movie, you see, he stumbles, he falls. You know, you know, uh, an addiction isn't an overnight. And uh, you've got to get people, I call it self-talk, like the story you tell yourself. And that's the biggest reason you've seen these two guys start to turn their lives around, because they tell themselves a different story. They don't just keep beating themselves up. Anybody who's listening, you know, know, no one can do more damage to you than you. Nobody. No one can make you feel more worthless. No one can make you feel more shame. No one can make you feel like everything sucks. Nobody can make you feel as bad as you. Now, the positive side is no one can inspire you more than you. Yes. No one can give you more focused drive, determination. Nobody can do that, but like you can. You know, the story you tell yourself, I'll leave you guys with this right here. One of the things that really clicked for those guys was, you know, so let me ask you, before you, you know, stepped through the curtain, as you were lacing up your boots, were you thinking to yourself, oh, God, this is going to suck. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick this place out. Oh, this is going to be horrible. They're going to hate me. No. you, Scott Hall, a.k.a. Razor Alone, Jake the Snake Roberts, was saying to themselves, I own this place. I'm about to go out there and steal the show. I'm going to blow everyone away. Well, why can't you tell yourself that story no doubt. when you get out of it? Oh, no because doubt. you can. You can. You just have to work at it. Like Scott accused me numerous times of going, Dally, you're so effing positive. You know, you know, how do you do it? It's like, how do I do it? I work at it. It just doesn't happen. Right. You've got to work at it. The story you tell yourself is where it all starts. Um, I, I know you got to go because we kept you long. I'll run through all these plugs one more time real quick uh, after we let you go. DDP, thank you, man. Seriously, this was awesome. Well, it was uh, a great time spending you guys. And anytime I get to talk about my boys, it's all positive. 
Anybody who's listening out there, you uh, want to go see the movie with Jake? JakeSnakeMovie.com. It's all there. Sign up. If you sign up, then you'll know when we're coming to your town or the VOD or the DVD or even when it's coming to Showtime. You know, Netflix, that'll be a while. But uh, if you want to see it now, it's going to go and it's going to explode on the Internet. So uh, go and sign up if you're looking to uh, invest in your in your body, in your mind. Go to DDPYoga.com. It's all there. Fellas, it's been your pleasure. It certainly has. Thank, thank you, man. <laughs>